Hello there, I'm Patrick Struth, trusted authority in executive and transactional liability and president of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Now, a proud member of the Liberty Company Insurance Broker Network. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Sean Frank, founder of Cloud Equity Group. Cloud Equity is a Wall Street-based private equity and mezzanine debt firm strategically positioned to capitalize on the rapidly expanding industries of web hosting and cloud-based infrastructure. Sean, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Now, before we get into uh, Cloud Equity Group, which we can imagine where your, where your specialty is, but before we get yeah. into that, let's start with you. What brought you to this point in your career? Yeah, so interesting you mentioned that. I have a very uh, non-traditional path into private equity, private debt, uh, we'll call it investment management. Um, I actually started uh, my first company back when I was 12 years old. It was a, a web hosting company. Uh, caught the tail end of the dot-com boom and grew very big, very quickly. Um, you know, organically, we expanded into a number of different verticals and uh, internationally as well. Um, when I got into high school, I connected with a guy named Andrew McKelvey. Andrew was the founder of Monster.com and at the time was running a private equity firm in New York called Blackfin Capital with a, a billion-dollar fund. Um, and he's the one who really got me into M&A and teaching me that you can grow your business inorganically by, you know, essentially acquiring competitors or similar businesses uh, and expand that way instead of just relying on organic growth. And so, you know, over the course of, you know, maybe a decade, we did probably two dozen transactions together and really scaling my business and learned a lot about M&A through that experience. Uh, but one of the things I also learned is that I didn't want to be the CEO of a business. Uh, I liked much more the transactional side of the business and negotiating deals and finding deals and adding value to companies and ultimately being able to sell them, uh, as opposed to just keep growing and growing and growing and reporting, you know, to shareholders and, and sort of the, the complex needs of a, a rapidly spanning company. And so with that, um, you know, I had the mindset that, hey, I want to do this in a financial cap uh, capacity and not a strategic capacity. And that's where we founded Cloud Equity Group back in 2013. It was basically to continue building on, you know, our strategy and doing, you know, M&A uh, and in, at the time investing in uh, specifically cloud hosting providers and, you know, do it now on behalf of investors and create a financial product around it instead of just doing it to grow a single business. Now, when you've got uh, Cloud Equity Group, you didn't name it Sean Frank Capital. So how'd you come up with that for a name? And then get into cloud equity because you do more than just cloud related business. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a very valid point. You know, uh, coming up with the name was difficult and I'm definitely not a creative person. Um, you know, I think one of the problems with firms and, and no offense to them that kind of name after the founders, you mm -hmm. inevitably create a lot of key man risk around the founder. Yes. And, you know, one of the visions that I had in, in forming cloud equity group is not to um, just be sort of a single strategy investment manager at the time we were operating more in an independent sponsor model that really had limited scope as where it could scale to being sort of linked to, you know, me and my track record and my investment strategy, but wanted to really shape it to be more of an investment management firm that can ultimately transition into becoming an asset management firm uh, and really scale much more that you can leverage a team instead of just an individual founder and identifying, you know, what the company does and the skill set that it has. 
And so, you know, looking forward to that, you know, it was never a thought to name it, you know, Sean Frank Capital or, you know, any derivation of that. And so the next best thing, I think, is to think about, you know, something that has meaning to the company and, and its roots and did a lot of research in this. And, you know, how do other asset management firms get their name? And I think a, a very common thing that a lot of firms do is they'll name it after like maybe a street that their headquarters was originally on or, you know, a, a body of water or a river that's nearby. And so, you know, we're, we're located on Wall Street. That's where I am right now. And, and, you know, I think it's a little too cliche for an asset management firm to be called Wall Street Capital or something like that. Um, the bodies of water here are the Hudson River and the East River. So it, it, they don't really sound too appealing. And so then we thought about, you know, where is our strategy starting from? And, you know, it's going to be equity investments in cloud infrastructure and uh, that transition to the name Cloud Equity Group. Um, it worked very well for us, or, you know, at least initially, because I think it, it very well described what we were investing in. Uh, becomes a little bit more complicated today in, in misleading, maybe, in potential investors primarily as far as where our strategy is focused, because we've branched out. Uh, a lot more since, you know, when we first started back in 2013, um, you know, but nonetheless, it, it holds true to our roots and how we started. And, uh, you know, it's a name that we, you know, continue to keep for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, talking a little bit about our history as a firm, you know, as I mentioned, we started in 2013 in more of an independent sponsor model, uh, doing unlevered transactions, really just identifying what we consider to be undervalued cloud hosting businesses, um, you know, oftentimes undervalued because of some non-operational problem that they had, maybe too much debt on the balance sheet, maybe, you know, an, an owner or management team that really didn't know what they were doing, messy long-term contracts, things that we had experience in resolving. And that was really our value add, coming into these businesses where we can command a discount because of the problems that they had, fix those problems and, you know, sell it for more than we bought it for. Uh, you know, fast forward to today, um, we're investing out of what will be, is our fund five uh, on our equity side, where we do buyouts in the lower middle market. Uh, and what we broadly define as tech enabled business services, but primarily in, in three main verticals, uh, continue to invest in, in the hosting space, uh, but also heavily invested in managed service providers and digital marketing firms. Uh, and we're about to go to market in likely Q1 of next year to raise what will be our fund three on our private debt side. Um, which historically in funds one and two have lent to uh, similar businesses that we invested in on the equity side. So within those same uh, three main verticals, maybe a little bit more agnostic, um, but with this fund three looking to branch out uh, much more agnostically and into other industries and uh, likely next year, but getting our SBIC license and uh, becoming an SBIC lender. So definitely moved a lot and up the capital stack uh, in terms of the investment products that we offer, the types of companies that we invest in, um, you know, and all of that in the past, you know, nine years that we've been in business now. Well, I mean, when you think about the name, at least you didn't name yourself something like Stagecoach Capital, which has a little bit yeah. of a, you know, a, a, di a different type. I mean, cloud, cloud, it's still pretty big. I'm just curious, uh, talking to an expert in cloud, is the cloud space, is it really that fragmented? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of fragmentation. And even with the term cloud itself, I mean, it's very... Cloud is, is a branding buzzword, but it can mean eight different things to eight different companies. Uh, you know, so the way that we think about the businesses that we invest in, uh, at least on the equity side, are service-oriented businesses that somehow enable or promote remote connectivity, okay. um, online presence, all those things. So we're the, the service providers behind the cloud, and, and cloud we're broadly defining as any type of remote connectivity or remote access. Okay, it's, it's kind of like a channel. 
is is out there. Okay, and then exactly. your your investment size. I know you're, you've been since 2013. You're scaling up, but you haven't left the lower middle market to go after the real large ones. You've actually stuck to your knitting and stayed here. Talk about that real quick, because there are a couple of things that you bring to the table for the lower middle market that I think is essential because, you know, in the lower middle market, you got organizations that are just they're either, you know, too big to be small, but too small to be enterprise. And they've got an inflection point. They've got it. They got to get across. And if they don't find out about organizations like Cloud Equity Group, they're going to default to either a competitor or strategic or an institution that really will underserve them and overcharge them. So let's talk about a couple of things because you had already mentioned one thing about this is you're, you're targeting organizations that others look look past. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we've we definitely stayed true to, you know, the lower middle market and with that, even probably the lower end of the lower middle market. We look at that as, as a unique playing field where to your point, there's lots of opportunity, especially within our sector in that, you know, there's there's tons of acquisition targets available, but not really a lot of qualified buyers, mostly because of the size range. And so we really serve what we consider to be a fundamental purpose into the market. And that will oftentimes be the first institutional capital into a small business. And we look at ourselves as the conduit that'll take that small business from really being a founder and small business by definition to something that's investable by another private equity firm. And so a big part of our strategy is buying up a lot of these companies, being the first institutional capital and really institutionalizing the business so that it is investable and it's scalable and that it can go to, you know, a larger private equity shop that might want to take it to, you know, whatever the next level is by their definition, um, you know, and being that facilitator of that transaction. So we look at ourselves as kind of an integral part in the market as a whole and taking, filling the gap on where, you know, a small business may be uh, to where an institutional investor may be in helping a, a company transition from sort of the one level to the next. And you do extensive work with uh, independent sponsors and search funders and, and those organizations. How does that work? Yeah, we do a lot of work sort of with everyone within that ecosystem. Uh, we definitely buy a lot from founder-run companies. And okay. so we there might be, you know, three owners where two or one or two are looking to exit and we're kind of, you know, creating a, li- a liquidity solution for them and keeping on the third to help, you know, take the transition to business to the next level. We've definitely done acquisitions where there's an owner looking to retire and totally removing him from the picture. And, you know, that typically those would be an add-on into one of our existing platforms. Um, but I've also teamed up with independent sponsors, search funds, and, you know, other intermediaries and in, in providing a capital solution, whether, you know, we are going to come in and, and offer our expertise in managing the investment, uh, executing on the roll-up and, and helping to scale the business, or just being a capital provider to them, uh, provided they have the, you know, necessary expertise. And, you know, in those situations, oftentimes facilitating, you know, that acquisition and, you know, future add-ons into that, that platform. Mm-hmm. With, and to, for context, what, what type of enterprise value are you targeting in, in, uh, for, your, for your acquisitions? So we like to say that we invest opportunistically. Okay. Uh, and with that, it means we don't necessarily have a minimum. And in theory, we don't have a maximum. Uh, I'd say the broad range in, in sort of enterprise value on the transactions that we're doing today, you know, will be anything from, you know, maybe three, four million on the low end to, you know, probably like 15, 20 million on the high end. Okay. It's really where we see kind of the most opportunity within our strategy and with our space, again, where we can come in, uh, be oftentimes the first institutional capital into the business and really turn it from a small business into a real company. 
uh, and execute that sort of in line with the roll-up strategy, you know, structure, structure the investment with debt and, you know, other things to help enhance the equity returns and ultimately flip at a higher market segment to another private equity buyer. So I say opportunistically because we've done transactions smaller than that, uh, you know, small add-ons that were just, you know, merging into to a larger platform, whatever. Uh, and we've definitely done acquisitions larger than that where, you know, we may offer sort of sidecar, you know, investment opportunities to existing LPs or outside investment partners. Yeah, and I think you've got a compelling story for owners and founders at that level because the bigger players will almost, they don't mean to do it, but they're almost going to be condescending because they're like, you're, you're really small. We can't scale down to, you know, your services and you come in and you're going to have, you're right, in, they're right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the competitive advantages that we have. I mean, in some of the marketing materials, we, we've coined the term, I don't know if it existed before us or not, uh, micro private equity and that, you know, we'll be the guys that are doing a lot of these smaller transactions to, you know, create a larger company and a larger transaction for the bigger guys. And it's really the, the value add that we give to our investors is that we're willing to kind of roll up our sleeves and help in those areas where, you know, larger financial providers, their capital providers might not be willing to or might not be able to help mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately provide the capital solution in sort of this lower segment of the lower middle market, uh, you know, where then we can create a company that's more appealing to, you know, those other guys. When you're bringing on uh, a company and you've got the management there, I'm just curious when we didn't talk about this earlier, so I I hate to catch you off guard, but can you share with me any kind of um, situation where you just were explaining what you're going to do going forward with the organization and management sitting there and then you just see a light bulb go on where they're just, you you can do that, where you just completely give them an epiphany. Yeah, you know, it's 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 very common, I think, in the transactions that we do and we're when we're speaking to sellers, whether they're looking to, you know, exit or stay on or, you know, whatever their plans are, because you know, we find oftentimes at least at our entry point is the founders would have started a company, whether intentionally or not, you know, it's scaled to some point uh, that probably they never anticipated it would get to that point and they've plateaued. They don't know how to get to the next level. They need a strategic capital partner that can offer the expertise and help them. Maybe they need a capital infusion to help them to reach those goals for whatever reason. Um, you know, they need capital for the business, um, you know, maybe in line with the liquidity event that they're looking for, or maybe just take the business to the next level. And so in being able to come in and identify, hey, you know, this is the reason the business is plateaued. This is where money needs to go into. This is like how we can monitor the performance of, you know, the return on investment of that capital into the business and different KPIs and metrics that we should look at. You know, it, it, it really helps to kind of sell us, uh, you know, almost instantly to the founders and say, hey, these guys actually understand business. They might understand my business and my nuances specifically, but they understand businesses and how they run and how to scale and how to grow them. Mm-hmm. And that's often where we can find alignment with founders and owners of companies and say, hey, we can be the value add strategic partner for you because this is how we look at the business and this is how we can scale it. Okay. And I know we've talked a little bit about this, but if we could summarize it, you know, give me a profile of your ideal target. What are you, who are you most looking to help? Yeah, so we like founder-run companies because uh, you know we found those guys, those are guys that know their business the best, you know their employees the best, and they're most kind of devoted to the business. It's theirs, it's their baby, and you know we we tend to get sort of the the best post-close assistance from them and longevity from them. 
Um, you know, but with that, I mean, we're looking for businesses that are at least stable in top line revenue. Uh, ideally, there's growth there. Uh, we've done biz, uh, transactions where the business has maybe have slight decline in revenue, but that's not necessarily ideal for us. We like strong margin. We like strong operating teams, particularly strong management teams, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, those are the people that we're going to work with and empower and train and, and work alongside with to help grow the business. You know, and, and businesses that are, are have a good service-oriented culture. Um, you know, like I said before, the, the, the types of businesses that we invest in are all service providers. And so uh, companies that pride themselves in providing a high-quality, good service to their end user, whatever the customer may be, I mean, those are oftentimes the businesses that we align best with and we see kind of the, the best long-term value with. That's the best way to protect that repeat of repeating revenue, reoccurring revenue. Exactly, exactly. I mean, across all our verticals, I mean, we're talking about recurring revenue businesses and we're talking about, you know, maintaining customer relationships, growing those relationships over time. Um, you know, how can we grow with our customers? And so, you know, the service quality aspect of that is very important to us. And now as an organization that's been around since 2013, and that's longer than a lot, more than half the private equity firms out there today, you've seen the development of this risk transfer uh, tool called reps and warranties insurance, because that's something that was a non-issue because it was very expensive, very cumbersome back pre-2015, but now it's become just a ubiquitous throughout the um throughout the private equity sphere and it's accelerated mergers and acquisitions and reduced the downside for a lot of parties, which we think is a a real big uh, value add that the insurance industry delivered to the M&A community. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Sean, good, bad, or indifferent, what experience have you had with rep and warranty insurance? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it provides a very fundamental purpose. Uh, you know, like you said, I think it helps de-risk a lot of the transaction and, and sort of having a third party entity that has credit worthiness that can stand behind the reps and warranties Deep that pockets, are ultimately yeah. written in the APA. Exactly. You know, one of the, the risk centers that we have, uh, you know, often buying sort of, again, these, this lower end of, of lower middle market businesses, often from the founders, is that you know, how much credit worthiness does the founder have at the end of the day or the, the seller entity have at the end of the day when we're buying the business to stand behind those reps and warranties? And so, you know, in some cases, we can mitigate that a little bit. There might be person, personal guarantees from the owners on certain reps and warranties. There could be, you know, obviously customary escrow holdbacks or, you know, set offs against, you know, delayed payments, things of that nature. But having reps and warranties insurance is really kind of a, a, a good way for us to de-risk further and get better credibility and ultimately to be able to offer a higher price to um, the seller because we're, we've de-risked that a lot. But I think also it helps in that it allows us to be a little bit more competitive in our offer structure, especially you know when we might be the first institutional capital in and maybe we're competing with non-sophisticated buyers who aren't really familiar with reps and warranties and, you know, are willing to offer 95% cash at close and, you know, all these other things that institutional buyers typically wouldn't offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from a seller standpoint, obviously those structures, you know, look more ideal and we see them, you know, more often than not in kind of our competition and the size range and the companies that we're competing against. And so being able to mitigate and say, hey, we don't need to have, you know, an escrow for two years of 10% of the purchase price and, you know, all these other things. And we can offer something much more in line with your competition because we can offload some of that risk to a third party. It really helps us to be more competitive in the landscape. Well, that's fantastic. And with the size of deals you're going after, a lot of them are sub 20, sub 30 million enterprise value. 
a year ago, those were almost uninsurable by traditional rep and warranty. They were just too expensive, okay, just for the, the, the cost to do the diligence just to be eligible for the insurance uh, was a big barrier to entry for a lot of organizations. Sure. And that leaves a lot of sellers where they can't get the protection, even if they're willing to pay for it. The great news is there's a new program out there where it is a sell-side policy, but it can insure the seller in, and, in fact, the buyer from buyer's loss from a breach of the seller reps. And these deals can be as little as 500,000 in enterprise value up to $30 million. The the maximum policy is 20 million. But in that range, you've got that option now where you got pricing that is a fraction of rep and warranty. It's maybe $12,000 to $15,000 per million in coverage. And so we're very proud that we're able to get that kind of product out for organizations like yours, where you, you've got a, a very eager seller that's looking for some protection. They'll they'll work with you however you need. And now you have a tool for them. And, and we're very, very happy to have that out there for firms just like Cloud Equity Group, because this is the area that we, we wish to serve. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, you know, historically that has been a hurdle, particularly in smaller transactions, is that, you know, the risk reward there is just not there as far as underwriting and, you know, how it can impact the return on the investment. Uh, but having a product like this that kind of trickles down to more of the lower end of the lower middle market, like where we compete or even maybe smaller than the deals that we're doing for, definitely fills a, a fundamental purpose within the M&A landscape and, you know, adds a lot of value to, you know, buyers and sellers in the market. Yeah, and the more tools we can have for you guys to, you know, help your your targets get a clean exit, the better. Now, Sean, as we're going through, I mean, blinked and we're midway through 2022 already. There's all kinds of headwinds out there that everybody's talking about. There's, you know, concern and so forth. What trends do you see going forward between now and into, into 2023, whether there's M&A in general, cloud, or uh, just cloud equity group in particular? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I think there's a general consensus that our our markets and our economy is is probably heading to be, you know, likely in sort of a, a worse state, you know, a year from now than it is today. Uh, you know, with rising interest rates and inflation, you know, and everything else that's going on. And so I think within the M&A landscape, it's going to create more fragmentation, which for us as an investment manager in our strategy, we look at as a positive. You know, on the lower end of the market, where we might be competing for deals with uh, people who are relying on bank financing or SBA loans or second mortgage on their homes or, you know, those smaller strategic Mm -hmm. operators. I think that credit's going to tighten. And so we're going to see less buyers and it'll allow us to command more value on our deals being, you know, one of fewer capital providers that's still providing liquidity solutions or capital solutions within Mm -hmm. that that size segment. Um, and on the higher end, I think it's going to create more of a demand for, you know, private equity put on capital as investors are looking for sectors and areas where they can find positive returns and, you know, you know, good returns on their investment. Um, you know, it's going to create more of a mandate for these private equity funds, particularly the ones that already have the capital committed to, you know, put out the capital and generate strong returns and, you know, outperform the market. And so, you know, I, I think we'll continue to see that top end industry consolidation. And so at least where we are and being that conduit from the small businesses to taking them to institutionalized uh, investable businesses, mm-hmm. I think it's going to create a lot more upside for us in our transactions. And so I don't want to say that we're excited to see the economy performing badly, but I think at least within, you know, our business model and our investment strategy, you know, it's going to work out to be, uh, you know, a strong next couple of years for us. 
Do you anticipate being more of a buyer market than a seller market going forward? I think it's going to vary based on size segments. Uh, But yeah, I mean, especially at our entry points, I think so for sure. Um, You know, in the industries that we invest in, they're they're typically low barrier to entry industries. And so we see a lot of people start companies uh, either because it's a natural, you know, upsell or cross sell for their existing business Mm -hmm. or because they just want to launch a new business. Um, but they get to that plateau that I mentioned before where they can't really continue to scale and they need a partner. And so that, that infusion just creates, uh, um, sort of a, a wide funnel of a lot more opportunity for us to buy. And so, you know, when those buyers dissipate because they can't get the financing that they need to do those transactions, it's going to create a buyer market for us. Um, you know, but on that top end, that industry consolidation, I mean, private equity where we're looking to exit. Um, they, they invest with committed capital. And so, you know, even though, you know, credit might, you know, tighten and, you know, all these other things, you know, they still have committed capital, their funds that they need to invest out of, um, you know, and generate their returns. And so, you know, I think at least in our entries point, it'll, you know, continue to be or become more of a buyer's market, um, you know, and then it'll be interesting to see what happens on the high end. I just think it's fun. It's a lot easier when we're down in this area. First of all, there are a lot more targets or a lot more companies down at this this level than the billion dollar level. And also, it's a lot easier to get a, a large return when your purchase is a 10 to 20 million dollar purchase as opposed to a 200 to 500 million dollar purchase. And so uh, I think I think some really, really good things are going to be favoring uh, our respective practices. So, Sean Frank from Cloud Equity Group, how can our listeners find you? Uh, I think the best way to find me would just be on our company's website. That's just cloudequitygroup.com. I also have a a personal website where people can find me. It's just seanfrank.info. Okay, fantastic. Well, Sean Frank from Cloud Equity Group, a real pleasure having you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Patrick.